It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock, here at Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this wet world at WERU.org, Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors. Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, show where you can hear anything from whale tales to sail fails. And <laughs> most anything in between. Seems like it's going to be a good month for talking about um, boats tipping over here locally with good endings. And uh, we have several other items to bring around too, but... Uh, a couple rescue stories this yeah, morning. You've got a... Um, let's jump right in. You've uh, interviewed a fellow who uh, helped rescue somebody, and I've got a piece from uh, the paper about the community basically getting together yeah. and rescuing a fella. Um, safety first, you know, safety first. Uh, Want to hear a stupid story, speaking of safety? Uh, it always seems stupid when you look in retrospect, doesn't it? But, yeah, go ahead. Reflects pretty poorly <laughs> yeah. on me, let's put it that way, okay, as, as I'm going to preach safety to you today. Yeah, it's a personal one, all right. Yeah, I'm what you I would— I won't tell anybody. I'm what you would call a professional mariner. I get paid to sail up and down the East Coast, been doing it for 30 years. I'm pretty damn good at it, and I can cook too, okay? Yeah, you can. I'll test yeah. that. but— don't have much of a habit of wearing life jackets uh, for a couple reasons. One, uh, we're always on strange boats and, and uh, the big orange things are uncomfortable. I have now and have had a series of those um, uh, CO2 uh, life vests. Oh, yes, they're fairly comfortable. Yes. They're fairly comfortable. They're low profile. Mm-hmm. and uh, But if you wear them forever, they will wear out uh, before you uh, fall in the water and, and get to use <laughs> the thing. It'll have chafed Hopefully, through. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, reason mine tend to last a long time is I hardly ever wear them. So. But I am conscious of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, I can swim like a fish except for I've been knocked on the head or broken my arm or, you know what I'm saying, as I've gone overboard. So there's no excuse for any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, back in August, we uh, ended up running out of gas uh, in the middle of the night on our way to uh, St. Michael's, Maryland. There was Coast Guard 47-foot boat out there from uh, Booth Bay we uh, chatted with, and they came by and, and uh, tossed us a line and pulled us into Friendship, where we got our Gave engine going again. Ooh, we don't yeah. do toes, yes. No, they uh, in general don't, but uh, again, they were out there, and they were very nice about it. A uh, 47-foot boat with a uh, crew of about uh, six or eight people on it, very professional. And here I am, up on the bow, ready to catch the line, Okay not wearing a life jacket in front of the Coast Guard. Oh, boy. The first yeah. thing the Coast Guard says to you when, when they call you on the Where radio is, is they say, is everybody wearing a life jacket? And you go, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, there I was up on, and I thought about and and the boat was rolling very badly. It was, it was, 
it was a chore to get to the bow, okay? But, again, that's sort of what I'm good at. And uh, um, I know I'm not going anywhere. And uh, the Coast Guard people were quite alarmed. And when they uh, uh, yelled at me that I needed a life jacket, I yelled at them that uh, it was probably going to be worse to go back and get one and, and toss me the line, which they did, and, and a little embarrassed by that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's all you got, though? No, uh, no fine or anything you had to pay? Oh, again, we were uh, mariners uh, just out there being being assisted by the uh, Coast Guard, who are always quite good. Yeah. 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 Well, the second thing they say, too, is there are any uh, arms on board? We are hardly, again, we're uh, delivering strange boats mm-hmm. and uh, hardly ever armed. We've uh, had, uh, I could tell you a couple of stories, too, where we've uh, uh, said, you know, I hope they're not armed because we're not. <laughs> Boy, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, uh, no, we uh, hardly ever resort to uh, to uh, uh, getting out the cannons. Let's put it that way. Right. So um, I have no particular order. I'd like to get into things. Where there is the uh, report El- from the El Faro. That's yeah. Let's talk inter- about that up first. Okay, let's we'll go with that one. Um, the uh, Board of Investigation released a report. And the report has 31 safety recommendations. El Faro was a tanker. Uh, I'm okay, sorry, yes. a uh, container ship. Right. Uh, actually, U.S. flagged, I believe, which is fairly rare beast. Well, it's part of the Jones Act. Yes, and uh, it was on its regular trip uh, back and forth, uh, uh, Puerto Rico to I'm not sure where it uh, comes out of, but uh, upper floor. Where's that place that has uh, on the the old near St. Augustine with the old yeah pretty regular uh, again it's a regular it's a regular gig um, yes it's a regular route uh, the boat does it uh, back and forth uh, kind of like a, uh, a truck it is American flagged uh, because of uh, uh, Puerto Rico and uh, being an American territory and and uh, but again that's a rare beast the American flag container ship and again those boys ran back and forth the boat had been modified a few years back right. And uh, there's one of the uh, recommendations that they the modification was considered not significant enough to require a new reinspection. Modifica- boat modifications will come into one of our other stories this morning. So yeah. you know, that's the question there. Um, it also there's a photograph of it taken just before it left. It shows it's fully loaded and it's on, had a starboard list to begin with. Yeah, and wall-to-wall containers, they're, uh, what, three yeah. high above the deck yeah, level there and, and just uh, gunnel to gunnel. Um, the uh, big problem, though, was that their engine failed. And There's another story, too, yes. It turns out that there was low oil in the sump tank that, that uh, lubes the motor yeah. to start with. And then when you got a list and things start going bad, the pump apparently started... Um, not pumping enough oil to the motor. Now, the moment when the engine fails, let's imagine we're on the big boat out in the ocean. The only thing you can basically hear is the throbbing of the engine, okay? It's everywhere. It's omnipresent. And when it stops, it's a big deal. It's a I tell people deal. when we're delivering boats, if you want, if I'm up forward in the forward cabin and you want me, jog the throttle, okay? I will, I will come running. Uh-huh. And uh, again, when the throttle went off off of uh, friendship there that night, and uh, there was dead silence, I'm like, "What? We couldn't possibly have been out of gas, but we had a uh, in, we were running the wrong fuel tank because Buddy had cancer and wasn't thinking right." Is, is what happened to us. So, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. But anyway, their engine just flat out stopped, and again, we're in a uh, uh, 
a situation where we need to uh, watch the weather and go someplace the weather is not, and we don't have any mobility to do that, nor do we have the mobility to turn the boat into or away from the seas. We're going to lay sideways. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. and that's why in a hull is just uh, not a good thing ever. It wasn't long before they started getting uh, right to the beam seas and, uh, and the captain ordered... And the boat will roll uh, uh, rail to rail, basically, especially with that top heavy load of uh, containers. The rolling, I bet, was just uh, terrible. Well, there's another one, too. They had what they call row-row, which stands for roll-on, roll-off, you know, vehicles of all sorts that are able to propel themselves uh, stored down below, but they weren't uh, secured. So when the ship started, even before the motor failed, those things were uh, sliding one side or the other with the starboard list. Most of them ended up making the starboard list worse. There was a whole, a whole rash of uh, little blame items to my put My friend on Captain Sonny uh, Perkins and I were just talking about um, uh, storms, and, and we both agree on the point that you can't tie anything down good enough in a storm, okay? Especially if it's on deck and, and exposed to waves and the wind, okay? I don't care how good you tie that down. There's a high chance if it's not welded, it's not going to be there in the morning, let alone, again, cargo uh, can't be shifting. It's uh and again, once you're uh, trying to solve these problems in in bad conditions where the boat is rolling side to side and plunging, and, and I'm telling you what, it's hard to think, let alone function. Right. Yeah. That apparently was a problem on board because originally, well, not originally, but dur- during the uh, increased seas, the National Weather Service sent a wrong forecast for the hurricane, and the captain uh, was getting some bad information. But he should have updated the uh, the new weather a few hours later. There's an update that comes through, and uh, he didn't apparently, according to the uh, voice data or whatever the recorder is that they recovered, he I didn't get an update on the weather. So, I have limited patience with people that will play the weather radio all morning. Okay, and listen to it over and over and over again. It takes a long time to repeat itself. Yeah, and uh, but it does update itself, and and again, that's your business right there. The weather is, is nothing, yeah, more prime, uh, primal. So he ended up sailing in a, right into the eye, basically, and lost his engine. Yeah. And again, uh, went a hull, laying sideways to the waves, and. And as Captain Sonny pointed out once again, why did it sink? It filled up with water. Yep, yeah. it did. It filled up quite a bit before it actually uh, called for abandoning the ship. That uh, Part of the reason why it went to beam seas, too. So the Coast Guard made, uh, what, 31 recommendations, 31 wasn't recommendations. there? Fairly harsh on our uh, friend, the captain. Yep, uh, part of it was because he didn't update the things and... Uh, Part of it was because they sailed with knowing that they had low oil in the sump, and uh, there were some other um, tote marine. The uh, the owner was giving recommended that they have a civil penalty against them for allowing all this to happen. But hopefully, in the future, some of these safety recommendations will will make things a little more safe for all the sailors. Well, um, we're certainly not going to give up shipping stuff by water. Yeah. Um, it's bad enough we don't have, uh, again, a uh, 
large, vibrant uh, American flag merchant fleet. But, um, again, uh, the best way to carry something is if you have to pick it up, oh, well, you're kind of limited. If you can drag it, you can take a bunch more stuff. But if you can put it in something that floats, you can bring a lot of stuff behind you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else are you looking at this morning? Okay. Um, I got one that seems interesting uh, in the uh, not all rich guys are bad guys department. There's a, a, a co-founder of Microsoft, a man named Paul Allen, who has been doing some pretty good, uh, I guess we'll call it philanthropy and saving, trying to help wildlife. And he's a boat guy. And he's a boat guy. And he has come up with a uh, plan to have uh, satellite monitoring of all vessels all across the, all the waters right now because uh, they can, by satellite technology, use the satellite imagery and then uh, some sort of technology that can pick out what boats or fish boats by the way they're stopping and not starting or, you know, doing whatever they do that most uh, boats going from one place to another don't do. Mm. So... Uh, they're going to use this information and uh, forward any suspicious information to whatever country happens to be nearby so that they can uh, hopefully catch more illegal fishing. Because according to this, um, 20% of all the fish that we buy now is illegally caught. I just heard the other day we waste about 30% of all food we produce. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, these numbers are not looking good to start with. and. I failed to, uh, just thinking I don't have it with me, uh, was information on a herring closure and uh, the Manhattan fishery, too, uh, which are, again, big bait fish for the lobster fishery in Maine. And without bait, um, you know, let alone the water is warming up, which we'll get to in a couple minutes. Yeah. 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 We were talking about uh, storms and warm water last month. Um, there's another interesting thing from G-Captain. Uh, a study has been made. Uh, by using global satellites again of where lightning strikes are there's a some sort of a mechanism that counts them and keeps, right. keeps track of this and it turns out that there is an, a marked increase of number of thunderstorms over shipping lanes that they're attributing to the smoke from the from the diesel fuel oh no 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 <sighs> no 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 see there's hardly anything that worries me like like being in a lightning storm with a 75-foot mast and somebody else's expensive electronics, okay? Uh, lightning is not random in where it goes. It, it uh, wants to go to ground. It will uh, take most attractive path, you know? Yeah. And it likes some things, like birds pooping on, on boats. Uh, <laughs> it likes some boats better than others, okay? Um, yeah, that scares me. And here's another little story from you from a trip down to Maryland this summer. Um, a lady in the marina there, her boat was uh, looking a little battered up, okay? And the canvas was ripped a little bit. It was scratched up. The night before that, they had been in a marina where there was a tornado next door. Ooh, ooh. Yep. Hit by debris, probably. Huh? And the idea of, uh, again, big waves out in the middle of the blue ocean doesn't scare me all that much. I've seen them. The boat goes up, wave goes under, okay. And uh, But to be tied next to the dock with a, hur uh, a hurricane or a tornado, what happened was um, a bunch of boats got uh, the windows sucked right out of them, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, canvas all shredded up, glass flying everywhere. Dinghies were flying. Her dinghy went ashore but didn't end up in, in the club swimming pool like a dozen other dinghies <laughs> and not 
not nicely arranged floating either, yeah. okay? Um, and again, the, the horrifying idea of being caught on a boat in a tornado uh, tied to a dock, good Lord. Uh, no training for that, no experience for that, you know. So things are... Uh, Things are changing up a little bit, and we've been trying to comment on the uh, uh, global warming, uh, climate change, right along here. And one of the points I've been making is that um, you can throw crap and make doubt about anything. And uh, there are people, um, uh, just read a book called Democracy in Chains. And the point of the uh, professor who wrote the uh, uh, book is that if you cast enough doubt on democracy, you can hobble it and make the oligarchy a lot more happy about uh, not having to respond to the rabble about the little stuff that uh, all the little people get concerned about, okay? So doubt is huge. And uh, uh, the point being that they've uh, kind of done that with the climate uh, issue here. And again, just to uh, reinforce my point, uh, Donald Trump is president of the United States of America. Um, so from the um, Ellsworth American, there is a uh, weekly, uh, almost always weekly column in here by a fellow named Marvin Ott. Marvin is a uh, national security fellow. Uh, I believe he works in the NSA, no such agency, national security agency, and uh, a summer resident of uh, Big Cranberry Island. And his uh, offshore column in the Ellsworth American about international issues is just so well done and perceptive and uh you know uh, i find it a, a must read all the time ellsworthamerican.com from uh, a piece called climate insecurity we uh talk about the idea of national security has long meant uh you know the defense of the united states against uh, others you know and but as he points out here another increasingly dangerous Angle has emerged in the form of uh, human-caused uh, change in the physical condition of the Earth. Uh, specifically, huge amounts of uh, carbon dioxide and methane as products of industry and transportation and farming have significantly altered the chemical composition of the atmosphere, and this has consequences. The altered uh, state is increasingly efficient at trapping heat with the result that both air and water temperatures, ocean, are on the rise, and this has consequences as the as the Arctic ice melts and uh, more uh, violently um, moisture-fueled storms, as recent headlines uh, point out. Um, nothing that has happened in these events is surprising to anybody literate in climate science. The fundamental mechanisms that create global change have been understood for well over a century, and authoritative voices like the Academy of Sciences have warned of the threat for decades. The only uh, thing that's been fine-tuning the analytical models has been about uh, uh, how much and when, and the surprise is more and faster than you think. Uh, the first and most obvious involves the destructive... Um, uh, how, how does this affect national security, is Marvin Ott's uh, question here. The first and most obvious involves the destructive impact of rising seas and the extreme weather events on the people and physical assets of the United States. If you have the impression that such events are becoming more frequent, you are correct. The number of billion-dollar natural disasters in inflation-adjusted terms in the United States has more than tripled over the last two decades. That trend is rising and rising fast. On the other hand, you could be happy that we've got the, uh, the 
We've not only got the uh, storm of the century out of the way, possibly the storm of the millennium and only two decades up, you know, into the into the century and the millennium. That could be, you know, we could be good for now. But as Marvin Ott points out, the um, uh, Defense Department is looking into this. Uh, they have been publicly warning for years regarding the national security threats posed by global warming. The many documents raising the alarm, perhaps most visible, has been the Pentagon's Quadrennial Defense Review. Most two recent, 2010 and 2014, underline the danger. The effect of extreme weather is not unlike an enemy attack. People die and property is destroyed, sometimes on a very large scale. The Pentagon also has its own immediate equities at stake. Already, over 30 U.S. military facilities are feeling the negative effects of climate change. Another obvious consequence is to move domestic first responders into the ranks of national security personnel. The opposite manifestation is out on the West Coast right now, drought, uh, drought and fire. Uh, with all this, it is ironic, says Marvin Ott in this uh, column offshore from the Ellsworth American, with all this, it is ironic to the point of farce that we have a president and a director of the Environmental Protection Agency who have declared climate change is a, quote, hoax. As part of what has been aptly criticized as a, quote, war on science, President Trump, in his formal policy outline for the next fiscal year, has called for the budgets of FEMA and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to be gutted. And uh, the grim truth is that the two recent hurricanes are merely harbingers of what will certainly become the overriding national security challenge for this and future generations. Marvin Ott, offshore Ellsworth American. Um, you can poo-poo it all you want. While, no. And and the idea that you can have uh, people on the radio and and the uh, TV telling people up to their nipples in their living room in, in water, okay, five feet of water in the living room and saying nothing to do with the global warming. Don't worry about that. This is just a storm. It's just temporary, yeah. You know, nothing to uh, – and, again, uh, the liabilities and, and uh, possibilities are – wow. Um, well, let's uh, – I we opened the phones. I didn't mention the phone number when we began, and I'm sorry about that. But here we go now: one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Or you can email right into the the Boat Talk Navigation Station at boattalk at gmail dot com. Uh, Had a uh, listener send us a letter. Uh, from uh, Upper New York State. Uh, oh, I'll, uh, I'll murder the name of this. Wyant's uh, Kill, New York. Uh, Anthony Antinu- Antonucci. Yeah, I believe that's uh, pretty close. And uh, Anthony sent us a piece from the Adirondack Life magazine. You can Google that, Adirondack Life, from uh, September 2nd. I'm sorry, March 9th, Adirondack Life magazine. March 9th this year. Yeah, the article is called The Loner, and he sent it in response to the uh, story about Christopher Knight, the Maine hermit, where we talked to Michael Finkel Uh about the fellow living 27 years out in the woods and uh, next to the pond in Rome, Maine, stealing from uh, camps around him. You can't be a hermit by yourself. You need aid. And uh, uh, he sent this uh, over from, uh, again, Adirondack Life magazine. It's called The Loner. And Alan Como survived two decades in the wood. Was he a hermit, a common thief, homeless, or a combination of all three? 
by Catherine Joyce. This um, Alan Como guy, not as cool as our hermit, Christopher Knight, I must say. I wouldn't call him cool either, but... Well, no, and again, the flaw is that both of them had to steal to maintain their well, antisocial... Said, living by thievery is no way to live. Yeah, um, Alan Como got around a little bit more. He moved around New England a little bit and uh, uh, had a couple of different sites, traveled by bicycle quite a bit. That's what got him caught. Somebody saw an unusual fella... Uh, an unusual place, uh, bicycling, an uh, unusual time, and, and uh, game warden come around, found it ditched in the woods, and and uh, found where he was. And, and uh, But he was doing basically the same thing. He had a reading habit like Christopher Knight. Uh, he was smart like Christopher Knight, but not quite as uh, – didn't read as good of books or wasn't as smart. He was um, a more uh, – he was a worse thief, let's put it that way. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was, again um, – Quite a bit similar, antisocial, uh, just some people. Again, we can't, none of us live alone, but some of us should be left alone. There, Yeah, we have some other examples of that in the last couple of weeks, too, of some people are just way out there. And that seems to be a, a part of human nature, unfortunately. Yeah, Anthony Antonucci, uh, like I say, sent this over from... Uh, Adirondack Life Magazine, we thank you, but uh, it's called The Loner. You can Google that. Um, it's from uh, March 9th, 2017, Adirondack Life Magazine, and a fairly good read. Um, but, again, a uh, similar story, and, and my verdict was he wasn't as cool as our hermit. Yeah, it makes you wonder how many more stories there may be happening that we don't know about yet. Lots of people live... Uh, uh, the intersection of people and other people is an interesting thing. Uh, they're talking about that fellow in Las Vegas there and saying he was a – he didn't mix with anybody basically. Mm. And one thing they said on the TV today, uh, did he have accomplices? No, they got him uh, running around Las Vegas forever. They can never find him with anybody else. Mm. He's a loner. Um, a gambler too. The psychiatry of that's not good either. So, um, you know, mm. But, uh, again, loners, uh, when we talked to Michael Finkel, that was back in uh, April, March, May, I believe. We talked to Michael Finkel in May and June, uh, two different months here, and talked to him about his book, The Stranger in the Woods. Highly, highly recommended. I think it's a Maine classic. It's the story of Christopher Knight, the so-called Maine hermit. And... uh, he um, then came back, Michael Finkel, the next month, and um, in June we interviewed him about five, three uh, Tokelau South Pacific teenagers uh, stole Uncle's oh, right. boat yes. to get off their damn little island and mm-hmm. about died after yeah. 51 days at sea, but were so stupid they lived and uh, didn't manage to eat each other. And Well, let's go to David. I think David is standing by on the phone. Good morning, David. Hi, thanks for the show. It's great as usual. Um talking about what needs to be heard. I I just wanted to throw in a, a piece of information you're probably aware of, but uh, I was uh, leafing through the uh, the Fisherman's Voice magazine for uh, uh, August some time ago, and I noticed a little notice from the uh, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management about how they were reopening their... Uh, uh, research uh, for uh, as to what areas of the outer continental shelf should be opened for uh, uh, 
exploration and development of natural resources. Uh, you can guess what that means. Right. Uh, uh, it was tucked away on page 16 or something like that. I don't have the issue at my fingertips, unfortunately. But, but uh, uh, I happened to notice it, and um, I got in touch with the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, a woman named uh, Kelly, uh, whose last name I also have lost track of at the moment, but she's in charge of it, and and uh, I actually called her. I called her on the phone, and uh, she returned my call. I was amazed. Uh, and uh, uh, these people are up against something which is sort of daunting. They they have to come up with uh, this set of standards occasionally, every five or six years, uh, as to what the impact would be on the coastal communities, would such things be done, and a lot of other uh, variables, of course, which they, they need to take into consideration and factor in. Uh, they had just finished this process and come up with a, uh, a set of regulations which would expire in 2019, I believe, uh, and was set to take, to take effect uh, uh, 2016. Uh, when they were uh, commanded on the uh, on February, right after the inauguration, uh, to redo their uh, their research and come up with a new set of standards about which areas were suitable of the outer of the uh, outer continental shelf uh, were uh, suitable for development. Uh, previously, the New England uh, uh, portion of the outer continental shelf had been excluded, uh, but now it's all up for uh, consideration again. And uh, Kelly was fairly upset about all of this because, you know, it's a lot of work to get this thing done. And they just had done it, and they were thinking they could maybe, like, get back to something else, which was also important. And no, no, they got to start all over again. So she's soliciting comment. Uh, uh, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management 1849 C Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., uh, uh, Department of the Interior, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. They do all kind of other good stuff, like like other good stuff, like uh, 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 assessing the the uh, practicality of, of uh, wind-generating uh, 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 farms, uh, for example, and various uh, uh, limited portions of the... the our bank area of our oceans, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, these people are doing good work, and they're really being bowed under by having to do this all over again. And they're very inclined to hear comments from folks about how it ain't right. And so I just wanted to get that out there if you're not already aware of it. And uh, uh, check it out. It's, you can read about it in the, uh, as I say, in the Fisherman's Voice. It's about page 16. It's right on the same page with uh, an advertisement for Lobsterman's Collective, okay. which also ought to be Th- informed. Th- thank you, David. We just appreciate that, that information. And we have another person right in the line, I think, who can probably address that directly. Let's go to Peter. Peter Neal. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, guys. Thanks uh, for calling. You know, listening to all this, it, it all comes together, in fact, including the last caller's comments. David, yes. Uh, when you think about denial of the science and the consequences of what we're seeing in all these different 
manifestations of extreme weather and fire, etc. You're talking about a social behavior uh, that you are taking a loner's position uh, that's retro retrospective uh, and and indifferent to uh, the needs of others. In fact, it's aggressive in the same way as someone randomly firing out of some kind of psychological distress or denial of what uh, the world has dealt to him, um, a, a kind of reactionary behavior that is destructive and uh, asocial to the point that it is actually stealing. That, in fact, by doing this, Scott Pruitt is by essentially reversing the clean power plant this morning with coal-fired plants, is essentially serving the 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 old the old paradigm and stealing in the form of admissions and public health problems from ensuing generations and it's the same thing and yet we we make a distinction as if one antisocial behavior is insane and the other is progressive and it's just not and until we realize and act and understand that this denial is essentially antisocial and immoral in the same criminal way uh, of these other um, uh, uh, activities, we're, we're, we'll just go down. We will just not survive. And we can make a buck otherwise. I mean, the place is founded on resource extraction, and it's going to be sad when we only sell each other Big Macs and insurance, but, you know, oh, no, but there are sustainable crazy. paradigms, aren't there? Well, and, and better than that, the, the, the smart money has already left. It's the old money that's trying to hold on in the oil and coal business. The smart money is already into solar and all these other, other things. There are countries now that are running 100% on alternative energy. And they have so outstripped the United States in terms of the application of, of technology, which, in fact, we may have invented. Uh, they have simply taken what we have done and used it. And in the end, you're right, it's a national security agency because it empowers them economically, if not otherwise. And we're just sitting here with our heads stuck, uh, you know, in the bilge, uh, drowning in our own ignorance. Just looked up. Pretty surprised to see we're a little bit half past boat talk already this morning. We have Peter Neal on the phone, and Peter, uh, as opposed to us, is an actual expert. He is the host of World Ocean Radio, founded and heard uh, world founded here, but heard worldwide, uh, and and uh, the World Ocean Observatory president, uh, Peter, uh, again a noted uh, uh, expert about a lot of salt water. Also, guys, you know, it's not just salt water. You know, much of this residue and the stuff that is essentially uh, put into the into the water cycle by by coal mining is not just goes into the air; it goes into the streams and rivers and watersheds, uh, and that eventually comes down in one way or form or another to the coast, and it affects shell fishing, it affects lobster fishing, it affects ground fish, it affects the livelihoods directly of the people of Maine who are dependent on very few industries to survive. And those old industries in Maine are gone. But the ones that are still here can't be further uh, uh, penalized by these kinds of, of retro decisions based on bad science. And 
and we're pointing out the crap that we are being fed as opposed to uh, real science and reality. And as Peter pointed out today, uh, Scott Pruitt, the uh, head of the Environmental Protection Agency, has declared the war on coal over today and is rolling back uh, clean air regulations uh, from Obama, uh, you know, aiming for a Paris-type uh, agreement, uh, you know, goals. And uh, he can say that on one side of the government while the other side of the government is trying to figure out what to do with the piers at the Norfolk Naval Yard when it floods next time, you know, and we need the, the uh, you know. Well, here's, a, here's another non-saltwater uh, climate issue, too, that I've just come across, that the uh, – the waters in the upper Mississippi are getting low because they're having a fairly good drought up up that way, low enough so that a lot of the produce that's being shipped out now from the farmers in the, in the Midwest is not able to get on barges that can carry it because of the uh, low water. That's, I've been yeah. That's, I've been uh, hauling buckets from my buddy's toilet. His his uh, well just come back yesterday. Thank you when it rained. So. Um, it's all connected, and again, uh, connected. water is the universal solvent. It's also the stuff of life, and uh, again, it uh, occupies most of the planet. Good to be boat people. Except in the Mississippi. <laughs> Peter, so. um, uh, how's, uh, how's the World Ocean Observatory nowadays? What's happening? Oh, well, you know, it's, I've got plenty to do just doing what we've always done, which is sort of try to promote this this point of view, you know, you look at the Mississippi River watershed, you know, it, it, it actually affects something like 28 or 30 states when you consider the full extent of the Ohio and the Missouri and all the other tributaries that feed the, the Mississippi. Um, it also involves Canada, so it's international. Uh, so drought, low water, uh, uh, impaired agriculture in the heartland, these are all climate and ocean-related phenomena. And until people understand that, uh, we, we won't be able to wrap our minds around change. It's not just something that happens um, outside our, our door or in a foreign place like Puerto Rico where, well, you know, we can forget about it. Um, how long has it been since you heard anything about Houston? Uh, the, the, somebody this morning, I think the governor of Texas, said they were talking about $150 billion to rebuild Houston uh, after the, the hurricane damage. And my question there, and I have been talking about this a bit, is what's it going to look like? What is Houston going to look like when they rebuild it? The logical, working logic is that they'll rebuild it the way it was. But in fact... The storm has set and shown and provided a plan for the rebuilding of Houston, which actually will force relocation of assets. Mm. So places that have already shown vulnerability to high water, you don't build the same thing in that place again. Uh, and there will be a propensity to do that. Oh, real estate on a good day is, pr- is priceless on a beautiful day. And again, uh, the example we've been using on Boat Talk is they are looking at building the wall around Manhattan. Uh, that would not be cheap, but neither is the real estate in Manhattan. But on the other hand, you can't build a wall around Manhattan and not have one in Brooklyn and Jersey, too. Well, and, and Tokyo has just built a, it was in the New York Times the other day, they have just built a enormously expensive underground reservoir 
as flood prevention. They've actually looked forward and built this this engineered structure underneath the city that can accommodate enormous volumes of water. So when the floods come, it doesn't destroy the city. Now, I mean, expensive, but prescient. And when you compare it to the damage, not just financial damage, but the emotional damage done to people, uh, you know, as in Puerto Rico, they will never be compensated for the emotional damage of the destruction of that island. We're still and, talking and about the ice storm. Calm. Yeah. Yep, that's huge. And again, uh, uh, more coming. And we can't put the whole deal up on stilts or move it inland, strictly speaking. Uh, uh, inexhaustible, uh, again, Peter, if you ever run out of things to uh, think and, uh, uh, you know, worry about the World Ocean Observatory, you're looking at it wrong. Right, right. Uh, so now I need to go uh, uh, to the dentist. <laughs> so glad you called yeah. this morning, Peter. Yeah. Thanks. Great, great, great job, guys. Great to hear you. Right. Bye. Bye, Peter. Thank you for calling. Um, while we have a little break here, let's go to uh, the recording that I made of... Uh, yeah, just looked up, surprised how, how late it is. It's 40-something yeah, uh, past already. and need to get to it. Yeah. Um, I spoke with Larry Elby. He is... Uh, a caretaker for the Hardwood Island, which is off of uh, the western side of Mount Desert Island. And uh, he, I got an email saying that Larry needed to talk with me. And actually, it was one of Larry's buddies that sent the email, but I ended up talking to Larry. He's a, uh, a good guy. He explained, um, I had him first start out explaining just what he does. And uh, he has a little Hinkley roustabout. You remember the Hinkley roustabout? Yeah, yeah. Yep. He has one of those. Little power boat. Yep. Yeah. Nice little power boat. So uh, let's go to uh, Larry's description of uh, one rescue that we had just, just recently, just about a week ago. Let's go with Larry. So I take care of uh, Hardwood Island and uh, us uh, on the mainland there nearby. Yes, a little uh, south of Barlands. You're the caretaker. How long have you been doing that? Let's see, this is my seventh season. Wow, quite a while. So you're pretty familiar with the island by now. Uh, you also, yeah. You also mentioned you had a uh, Hinkley roustabout. Yes, I've, yes. I'm drilling a few of those myself, too. Good little boat. Yeah, uh, the owner uh, took your has your article that you wrote in Home, yeah, boat, uh, Homes and Harbors there. All of Henry's boats. Yep. You were just on your way to to Hardwood Island um, when that happened. Yeah, so I uh, brought the plumber back to the Moose Island Bar. That's where their the family has their dock, and uh, and and then I was heading back. And uh, when I got to Hardwood Island, I got a call from the fire chief, um, and he was down at the Moose Island Bar, um, and he asked me if I could go out. And there's a fisherman on top of, of uh, a boat uh, north of Moose Island, which is just south of yeah. Hardwood, and uh, and if I could go out and get him. And uh, I was walking up the float or getting out of the boat over there, and there was low tide, and I couldn't see him. From there, so I just ran up to the top, and I was still on the phone with the fire chief, and and uh, could see him out there. Oh, yeah. and somebody, so somebody saw him from shore then, huh? 
Yeah, somebody's home for sure. I mean, you could see him when you're up high, but when you're down on the water with the waves and stuff, you couldn't see him. That's why I drove right by him on the way out. He must have been uh, yelling a few words at you when he saw you go by. Yeah, there was a couple others that went by, too, nearby. Yeah, he was pretty, uh, when we started heading out to him. Um, so after that, I, I made the decision that I would run up and uh, you know, side by side and get to my co-worker, Gary Farley. You know Gary Farley? Yeah, I know Gary. Yeah, because um, I wanted to have a second person to help me bring him in. Yeah. So, um I went up there and got him, and then we went out and set out and uh, and headed over there. And I don't know how far it was, but uh, when we got over there, he was, uh, um, the boat was upside down, uh, and it was kind of sinking in the back, but the bow was up, and he was kind of on the, on the bow of the boat. And, uh, and as, as we approached, you know, um, he was waving real hard. Real hard, and uh, you know, I kept thinking that geez, he must know that we're coming over there. But he was so disappointed about all the other times; he wasn't yeah. sure if we were coming over there. <laughs> Can't blame him. Yeah. No, no. And uh, so we got over there, and uh, I got up along. So I had to turn around and go into the wind, and then uh, I uh, Gary pulled him in. Yeah. Were they able to save his boat? Uh, they tried to uh, um, grapple it, and uh, I guess they tried to find it with the uh, you know, fish finders, but they they couldn't really find it. They after um, he got off, it you know, went under the water about six or eight minutes later, and then uh, um, and then the coast guard came, so I kind of couldn't get close to it. We were going to try to put a buoy on it, but uh, when Gary pulled off the uh, Jordan, he looked and see if there's a byline, but there wasn't anything that we could hook to. Um, but uh, so with, after we left, I, I heard, or, or away from the scene a little bit, I heard that uh, he could see the boat through the water, so it went down slowly. And one of the fishermen set some traps on it to mark it, but uh, oh. uh, I was talking to Josh from Chalmers Enterprises a couple days later, and he, they were out there on Saturday trying to get it. They couldn't find it. It must have the current must have took it way off. That's the bit. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I sure a lot of other people appreciate what you did. If they, they, boy, you sound like you got there just in the nick of time. Yeah, we did. Yes. Um, I was kind of disappointed that I went by him. <laughs> I could have had him a lot sooner, but. Probably even more disappointed. But yeah. It all came out good in the end. Yeah, it came out good in the end, yeah. So, uh, is Jordan, have you, have you spoken with him since then? Is he planning? No, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to him. I've spoken to his mom, and uh, Gary had spoken to his father. But uh, he was pretty shaken up, and, and uh, he, um, afterwards, and uh, his mother was saying that he was pretty, you know, usually he's a talker, but he wasn't wasn't talking too much a couple of days after. So, I, well, he must have been shivering too. He was probably really cold. Uh, yes, he was in the water. I think in order to get on the bottom of the boat. So he said he was in. He told somebody he was in like twenty minutes, but I don't know. Um, 
it probably just happened after I, I uh, went by him on the way back to Moose Island Bar. I think the uh, summer, because I was over there probably about 20 minutes doing some chores. Did he say how it happened? Um, yeah, uh, so he got tangled up in a, his father told Gary that he got tangled up in a, uh, a lobster buoy in his outboard, and he got it untangled, and then it just as he got it untangled and started going off, he got into another one, and he tried to get this one untangled, but uh, he got stirred to the wind, and the waters came over. Came over, the back the, end. Yeah, swamped the back end, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't take much when you're uh, in a small boat like that, does it? No, and it was rough, getting rough all the time up there. I saw, I commented to a couple people, and they commented to me about, you know, you shouldn't be up there in that small boat with the waves going. Well, I think he learned that lesson. Yeah. 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 All right, Larry, thank you. Well, I really enjoyed Dope Boat Talk. I've listened to it since the early days, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's easy to do because there's so much to talk about. So yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Larry. Okay, thanks for calling. Yeah, bye. There we have it. That was Larry Alby who uh, picked up Jordan Hodgson, and uh, just a little while later, you were telling me there was another one on the other side of Mount Desert Island. Yeah, there's a um, there was a great article on the Mount Desert Islander from um, September second. And it is called uh, Lobster Boat Swamps with Three Aboard, All Safe. This is a great community story as well as, a, 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 you know, a pretty good uh, little local angle. Uh, Bar Harbor, Mayday, Mayday, I'm going down behind sheep, was all Tegan Candage had time to transmit over the VHF radio as his lobster boat, the Georgia Maria, filled with water in Frenchman Bay on Saturday morning. By that time, my stern was so heavy and water was coming in so much, I realized, and I told my crew guys, we're going down. I got on the radio, and I only had seconds to do it before the boat was completely underwater. Candidge and his crew, Maine Maritime Academy classmates, Don uh, Dan Cox of Ellsworth and Alex Neal of Augusta, were in the water for less than a minute. They were pulled up by David Spear and Vince Abbott. They were aboard uh, Frenchman Bay, Spear's boat. Towed the swamp boat to the town beach. The radio call went out around 8.45 a.m., said the uh, Sitton Harbor Master in Bar Harbor, and with 30 seconds, there were 10 boats surrounding them, and everybody was fine. That's a uh, good story, yes. Yep. Um, the boat, uh, and again, they had modified the boat, caused uh, the sinking uh, in part, okay? A modification to the hull of the boat. Oh, uh, sort of like the El Faro, car- yeah. What was the, mo- how did they do that? The boat's hull, a 30-foot duffy with a brand new extension on the back, appears to be sound, but Candid says he's going to need new engine and electronics. The salt water, not good for the uh, wires, right, and, uh, yeah. you know. That's a um, good one. I'm just glad my crew was all right. After they started hauling Saturday morning, Georgia Maria's propeller got caught in a rope connected to a lobster pot buoy. Okay. <laughs> Sounds well, familiar. Yeah, yeah. We're back there again. And uh, Candid said he was trying to avoid cutting the rope, which would have cost another fisherman his trap, and he shut down the engine and opened an access panel. And that's how all the water come in. You, uh, his boat is uh, equipped with what's called a cutout to access the uh, propeller in just such a situation. But the water didn't drain back out of the boat because they had stopped moving and put an extension on the back. 
and it was loaded with traps at the time. Ah, so it was okay. over the top of the extension. I said, uh, told my guys, strip off your clothes, get ready. We're going in the water. We didn't have time to get the life jackets. They were all down forward. It happened so quick that the water was already filling up down below. Next thing I know, five boats are surrounding us, and Frenchman Bay was right there. And uh, off they go. Um, he says uh, basically that um, um, he... Uh, Opened up the access hatch there, and uh, you were supposed to uh, pop it up so you can have access to the wheel, but I couldn't go anywhere because if I ran my boat, my wheel would have been spinning, and I would have cut that guy's gear. The back of my boat was so heavy, water started rushing in my scuppers and coming through that cutout. It was blowing pretty good. There was a lot of chop, and down they went. Um, his uh, brother was right there. Uh, Rat Burns was right there. Blake Haas was right there to... Uh, the boat was almost completely underwater. They towed it to the beach. They had a full fuel tank, full bait barrels, and a lobster tank full of water. It was really heavy. There were no oil or fuel leaks. When the Coast Guard received word that everyone was safe and the incident had become a salvage operation, they didn't even send a boat from Southwest Harbor. <laughs> uh, once they had George May uh, Marie safely tied up on the town beach, they waited for the tide to go out and drain the water. Friends and family came and helped unload her. They planned to refloat the boat on high tide Saturday, and it was uh, uh, all about people helping up, which uh, Candage. Sounds pretty fixable. Really appreciated. And again, Mayday, I'm going down behind sheep, and, and they are on them like, uh, you know. Yeah, that's uh, all you had to say. Yeah. Not even which sheep, okay? Because on the coast of Maine, there's. <laughs> well, that's probably true, too. I think there's at least two. Limited VHF. Possibly range 20. Is, is I'm just saying. Easy. Yeah. Um, so again, good local uh, story, and once again, a uh, lobster uh, lobster buoy messed up in your propeller line. Um, we deliver boats up and down the east coast of North America. The only place that we do not move a boat in the dark is the coast of Maine. Yeah, because in the summer, because uh, pretty much year round, I'll, I'll go for that. Because we dodge lobster traps when we lobster buoys when we see them, and if we don't see them in the night, we're taking chances that yeah. we will not take professionally. Um, on the other hand, we don't really fear your abster, a, average lobster buoy. Okay, mm-hmm. let's imagine you have uh, two traps. They're tied together with a rope, and they're thrown overboard. And uh, the line up to the surface comes, and there's a buoy up there. That single buoy is really not that much of a threat to get in your propeller. A lot of fishermen fish what are called toggles. There'll be another buoy on the top tied to the first buoy with another length of line and floating nearby it. The line that goes in between the main buoy and the toggle buoy is what you end up getting mostly right. in your propeller. Yep, just, and we fear toggles. We yep. don't uh, single buoys, but and you can see where they fish toggles, but you can't always tell the toggle is attached to what yep. if there's so many buoys around. You've you got to be careful when you're coming into a toggle zone, too, because yeah. you're, you're used to not seeing them, and then all of a sudden, there they are. In some places, everybody fishes toggles. Sometimes some people fish toggles, and, and uh, sometimes there's no, they're all single buoys, and, uh, you know, they're not that big a deal to I go think, buy a single buoy. Yeah, one reason that they try not to fish toggles is because it 
causes a lot more loss of gear. And you would think so, too. But if the lobsters are right there, as I always just say, why will they fish in the channel in Buzzards Bay? And, and again, that's because where the lobsters <laughs> were. They didn't care about the boats going on top. Speaking though. of lobsters, uh, yeah. they're going to be shutting down the herring season, I just read. Oh, somebody brought that in. The herring uh, season we mentioned earlier is being shut down for the month of October from uh, Cape Cod to southern Maine. Yeah, yeah. which means that they're probably going to be Pounded them pretty hard up here. Well, I'll tell you something else. Uh, this time last year, I was over to Nova Scotia in Yarmouth, and the boys there were, uh, we had a fuel issue, and, and we got toured up and down the shore by Captain Cal Brudreau, a, a local Acadian retired from 40 years in the in the Canadian Coast Guard, looking for a fuel filter. Cal toured us around, and the boys were fitting out for herring at the time. And, and they go out and they net herring. They have yeah. a large fleet of herring boats Mm -hmm. and those boys with the herring boats make a lot of money it is a very um, productive uh, well-paying fishery stinky stinky (laughs) Uh, but again they're all uh, driving new trucks and fishing new boats and uh, you know good showers (laughs) and they're in Nova Scotia there is I was surprised by the size and vigor of the fishery and like say we were touring the uh, Wharfs up and down the uh, shore there around Yarmouth, uh, both sides of it, and uh, talking to the boys in the yards and stuff. And, uh, yeah, they were uh, quite busy at it, and there were a lot of them. And we yeah. don't have that fishery here anymore. Yeah, no, we don't. It's uh, seemed to gone away. And I think I can tell by my hearing that we're near the end of the show. Alan, that went uh, quicker than uh, I'm quite surprised. I feel we just sat down. I ain't quite sure what happened, but, you know. Well, yeah, I noticed that you were surprised when you pointed to the clock. and I... Half past, yeah. yeah. All right, then, uh, we'll give her a try next month. And I yeah. uh, couldn't say exactly about what yet, but it is a pleasure talking to people about their naval issues. You can help, too. Remember, boattalk at gmail.com if you have any suggestions. Thanks to Amy Brown down in the engine room. And stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for more than